everyone. Welcome to the podcast of the Vineyard Church, Chester Springs. We invite you to join our mission to love like Jesus, and you can connect with us on social media or visit our website, csvineyard.org. Now for this week's talk, brought to you by co-lead pastor, Amos Grunendijk. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Vineyard. Glad you guys came. My name is Amos. We have been studying the book of First Peter for two months now. We have one more week left after today. And so if you didn't grab a Bible on your way in or if you didn't bring a Bible, I would suggest going to the back. There are some on those carts back there. Uh, sometimes it's helpful to circle things and uh, just have the text in front of you. Um, I think it's worth thinking about for a moment all the things that Peter saw. Peter followed Jesus like in the flesh for about three years. He saw demons cast out. He saw lepers healed. He saw amazing miracles. And then, of course, he saw Jesus die. And so the hope that he had seemed to die with the person of Jesus. But in uh, three days, Jesus was raised from the dead and ascended into heaven. And Jesus promised that he would send the Holy Spirit. So about 50 days after the resurrection, on what we call Pentecost, the apostles are praying and the Holy Spirit comes and descends on them like uh, little fireballs, sort of. Tongues of fire, uh, maybe, is a, one way to think about what's going on there. And if, you, if you've read the book of Acts, one of the things that surprised me just in paging through it is that the first 12 chapters basically follow what God is doing in the early church. But Peter is like the main person. Like Peter is the one who stands up on Pentecost and preaches and calls people to repentance. And Peter is the one who, in most of those first 12 chapters, until kind of the baton gets passed to Paul, not like now Peter's done and Paul takes up the apostolic moment. It's just that the focus of the book of Acts goes into the missionary journeys of Paul. But Peter is the one praying for the sick. And Peter is the one, like, in tune with what the Holy Spirit is doing. And so to read the words from one of Jesus' closest disciples, and then one of the main figures in the early church, I think is just so, so rich and to, rem- and to just reflect on Peter and who he was. We, uh, we are going to talk about the Holy Spirit this morning. Now, if you are really in tune with the church and its calendar, you guys know that Pentecost was technically last week, Pentecost Sunday. Did you guys notice that? I'm... Uh, Well, as Gandalf the Grey said in Lord of the Rings, a wizard is never late, nor is he early. He arrives precisely when he means to. So I'm not talking about the Holy Spirit a week late. It's precisely when I mean to. No, the real story is uh, I had it on my calendar, and then I was like so focused on 1 Peter. This week I was studying. I was like, when when is Pentecost again? It's got to be coming up soon. Oh, shoot. It was last week, wasn't it? Uh, but remember, I guess, remember this, the Holy Spirit is never late either. Sometimes we have to wait, uh, 
but he arrives when he means to. And as people of the Spirit, as people who follow the Holy Spirit, there is like an active, living, uh, risk-taking, sometimes obedience that comes with following the voice of God and the prompting of God. But we've been, of course, like, especially the past two months, but always we look to the scriptures and we have one foot on the scriptures all the time. And that's how we can know that we'll never use our grounding. So in basketball, there's a move called a pivot. And what happens in a pivot is you have one foot that stays down and one foot that moves. And so as people of the Holy Spirit, people of Jesus with the Holy Spirit living inside of us, we want to be ready to move, but we also want to remember to keep our one foot down on what the scripture teaches. That's how we know we won't actually uh, get away from who Jesus is or what Jesus is about or the character of God. It's easy sometimes to well, in basketball terms, travel when we're trying to listen to the Holy Spirit. And we're like, oh, the Holy Spirit told me to do this thing I really wanted to do because it, it feels good, it seems good to me. But then if you look down and say, well, the Bible would actually counsel me otherwise, it's good to put that foot back down. This is not the NBA, okay? And the NBA traveling is allowed. Oh, my basketball people are not here today. That's a joke, okay? <laughs> As we study the scriptures, remember that God has given us a foundation of truth that we never want to leave, but also that God is going to call us to do things that are like active and living and sometimes scary and risky and sometimes subtle. Sometimes there will be a cost. And so I'm going to invite my friend Bethany up to read to you from 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 to the end of the chapter. But I want to read as she comes up just quickly from verse uh, 14. So you can circle this in your Bibles if you want. And Bethany, you can just come up on the stage. But notice this verse in particular as she reads it. If you are insulted because you bear the name of Christ, you will be blessed. For the glorious spirit of God rests upon you. Go ahead, Bethany. Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you are going through, as if something strange were happening to you. Instead, be very glad, for these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering, so that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it is revealed to all the world. If you are insulted because you bear the name of Christ, you will be blessed, for the glorious Spirit of God rests upon you. If you suffer, however, it must not be for murder, stealing, making trouble, or prying into other people's affairs. But it is no shame to suffer for being a Christian. Praise God for the privilege of being called by his name. For the time has come for judgment, and it must begin with God's household. And if judgment begins with us, what terrible fate awaits those who have never obeyed God's good news? And also, if the righteous are barely saved, what will happen to the godless sinners? So if you are suffering in a manner that pleases God, keep on doing what is right, 
and trust your lives to the God who created you, for he will never fail you. Thanks. So what we're going to do now, just take that with you, is spend a minute to reflect on what we've just heard or to simply invite the Holy Spirit to fill us with his presence. If you find your mind wandering, just take that as an opportunity to refocus your attention on Jesus. So come Holy Spirit. If you are insulted because you bear the name of Christ, you will be blessed. For the glorious Spirit of God rests upon you. Amen. So like I said, I want to talk about the Holy Spirit today. Uh, The vineyard is a movement and a church that believes in the miraculous, believes that God speaks, believes that God heals, but in a fairly unique way, and we try to root the way, root our belief in what we see Jesus doing, not in what we see on television sometimes when it comes to the work of the Holy Spirit or the miraculous. And uh, what we have here in First Peter chapter 4 is a pretty incredible passage because it, it assumes that because you are a Christian, you will be insulted. Uh, but then it says, right, many of us have been, but it says then like somehow when we suffer, we are actually close to Jesus and his spirit rests upon you. This language of the Spirit resting upon you is a fairly unique phrase in the Bible, and I want to look at the places that it occurs. But I want you to also remember, if you know your Bible, that in, uh, in that sermon where Peter gives uh, his like call to Jesus, he reminds people that the prophet Joel like says that there will be a day when God's spirit will be poured on everybody. And so the, the, the statement here is like that time, that day has come. And so the Holy Spirit is with us and the Holy Spirit rests on us. And so you see this in some of the prophets, 
Uh, so for instance, the spirit that is on Elijah, they say also rests on Elisha. And you see Elijah and Elisha both like performing these amazing miracles in the nation of Israel. You, you hear in the book of Numbers when, when Moses appoints like 72 elders to help him lead God's people that the spirit falls. And what happens is that there's prophecy. So there's this sense that when the spirit falls, they hear what God is trying to say to the people and they like in obedience kind of repeat what they're sensing from God's mind that he's pressing on them to the people. But maybe the, the best or one of the most clear explanations in, is in Isaiah chapter 11. So turn to Isaiah chapter 11 with me. It should be page number up there. This is a, this is a classic text that is pointing forward to the person of Jesus. And I guess let me say while you also turn there is there seems to be an inverse correlation with worldly power and the power of the Holy Spirit. So when you find people who have like authority to lead armies, <laughs> for instance, kings even, and I, I say this with a little bit of, an, of a caveat because I, I've, I've heard the statement but I haven't totally, like, I haven't read through the whole Bible to test the statement. Like, you have people who, like, love Jesus or love God, like David, but you don't actually see him operating in the gifts of the Spirit. He's got, like, this worldly power. He's got the power of government. He has the power of influence. But then, like, the Holy Spirit isn't doing these kind of amazing, miraculous things. Elijah and Elisha, they're living under the reign of King Ahab. So they're like under persecution. The king is trying to kill them and they're doing these amazing miracles like uh, raising the dead and turning, you know, poisonous water into like fresh living water. Or like Moses, you think, well, he had some authority, right? Yeah, except for he just led a bunch of slaves out of Egypt and they're in the wilderness. Like at any moment they might starve to death or, uh, you know, like Star or die from thirst. And so you find like the Holy Spirit working in these places where the people of God are actually, well, maybe in the words of Peter, like in exile or uh, pilgrims, like in these really obvious places where they've, they don't actually have a real voice in the public arena, but God is doing these amazing things uh, through them. And so in Isaiah chapter 11, we have the chapter 11, verse two, it says, and the spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might. We're getting some explanation of what the spirit does. The spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And verse three, he will delight in obeying the Lord. We'll come back to that. We'll keep reading. He will not judge by appearance nor make a decision based on hearsay. He will give justice to the poor and make fair decisions for the exploited. The earth will shake at the force of his word and one breath from his mouth will destroy the wicked. He will wear righteousness like a belt and truth like an undergarment. So there's all these things that come with the power of the spirit and things that Jesus himself embodies, including a care for the poor and a desire for justice. But the, the linchpin here, I think, is in verse three, where it says he will delight in obeying the Lord. So if you want to be in step with the spirit, if you want to 
like follow the movement of the spirit, the first thing to remember is that we say yes. This is an obedience. This does not mean we take our like pivot foot off of the Bible, but it means we're ready to be uh, reactive to what the Holy Spirit is drawing us toward. And sometimes saying yes to God will mean that we pay a price. There is a blessing with saying yes to God, but there is also a cost. And first Peter talks about that briefly, right? When people insult you, you can expect that if you say yes to God, there will be times when people put you down, think you're like just crazy weird. You'll take these risks and you'll pray for a person and people will like kind of like give you that look like, what's wrong with you? But the first thing to remember in following like the Holy Spirit is to, to write the Holy Spirit a blank check to say, I'm going to say yes to you, even if there is a cost. The next place that this language of the Holy Spirit coming and resting on someone really shines through brightly is uh, in the baptism of Jesus. So all of the gospels record the baptism of Jesus, but I want to jump to Mark 1 which the page number won't help you all a whole lot because this is a funny thing in this Bible. If there's extra stuff at the bottom, there's like no page number. So uh, page 1036 is the closest you can get in terms of like, oh, there's a page to get to Mark 1. But um, this seems to be a significant moment in Jesus' life because, as I said, it's, it's told in all of the Gospels. And there's, there's power in what God's voice says when the spirit comes and rests on him. Um, It says in Mark 1 chapter 10, as Jesus came up out of the water, this is after John baptizes him, he saw the heavens splitting apart and the Holy Spirit descending on him like a dove and a voice from heaven saying, you are my dearly loved son and you bring me great joy. In uh, some of the other passages, it uses the word rest. So it descends, the Holy Spirit descends and rests on Jesus, just like we have in First Peter chapter 4. But the remembering here, the, the point here is that like the Holy Spirit is always drawing you to God's love. It is an act of mercy when the Holy Spirit acts. And so while there is a cost, it will not be with a a judgmental heart. It will not be uh, shaming or blaming. It will be God's mercy flowing out, drawing people, yourself included. So if you're praying for someone, I hope you feel the delight of God. And the person who's being prayed for should be sensing these words. If they're not like spoken overtly, they should be feeling God loves me and he wants me to be in his family. I, I open you up to the book of Mark because when you see Jesus praying for miracles, when you see Jesus performing uh, healing, it's, it's pretty interesting to notice how short and sweet all of his prayers are. Again, this is probably not new to you, but if you flip the page, uh, you see in Mark chapter 1, verse 25, when he casts demons out, he doesn't say, 
I call on the power of God, the great sovereign. You know, he doesn't go on and on and say, and you demons come from the pit of hell. And, and, you know, there's no screaming or yelling. In verse 25 of chapter 1, he just says, be quiet, come out of the man. It's kind of easy to find because it's in the red there. And if you were to just like kind of scan across these chapters, uh, you'll find the same thing. Chapter 2, verse 11, stand up, pick up your mat and go home. Uh, chapter, let's see, flip the page again. There'll be another miracle, I'm sure. Uh, verse five of chapter three, you see the red there? There's a man with a shriveled hand and, uh, he says to the man, hold out your hand. So the man held out his hand and it was restored. In the vineyard, we pray, Short, simple, non-hyped prayers, what we call the naturally supernatural. Is that my third point? Yes. And so we don't use funny voices. We don't yell and scream. We, we really do our best to not manipulate people when we pray for them. Uh, we're not preaching at people when we pray for them. We invite the Holy Spirit to come and we ask as Jesus' kingdom comes to do something in the person. Uh, Steve Nicholson is a pretty big name in the Vineyard Movement. He's from Chicago. Many of you have heard him at national conferences, if you've ever been. He says it this way, being naturally supernatural means you're not being any more weird than you have to be. <laughs> because, uh, you know, you believe that God does miracles, so that automatically makes you just a little weird. <laughs> And the Holy Spirit might push you past your comfort zone. So that feels a little weird. And if you're being prayed for or if you're being like prompted to pray for someone, you might have this temptation to simply like run out of the room uh, because there's something in you that doesn't want to look like a fool. <laughs> but if you're going to look like a fool, look like a fool for Jesus. That's uh, how about that? But it doesn't mean bringing in like this human weirdness, this like yelling, screaming, stomping your foot, snapping your fingers, waving your arms. Like we don't see that modeled to us in the scriptures. And so when we pray, we pray simple prayers of Jesus and we listen actually for what the Holy Spirit is doing. Uh, so we actually are trying to pray what the Holy Spirit is prompting us to pray, not filling the silence with um, our own like fancy religious words. Can you put up the next slide, Austin? Yes, that's what I thought. Now jump over to John chapter 5. This is a classic text when it comes to the way we pray for people and expect the Holy Spirit to move in the vineyard. And the context of this text is that uh, Jesus goes to the pool of Bethsaida and, and it's amazing because there's all these sick people. And so what would you expect Jesus to do? Heal all the sick people. It's like Jesus goes to this hospital. You would expect everybody to get out of their hospital bed and walk out, but that's not what happens. As far as the scriptures teach us, you know how many people Jesus heals at the hospital? Just one. And, uh, and that, that is a little bit surprising and confounding, but Jesus will explain here in just a moment. But uh, the Pharisees actually get really angry at Jesus for doing this because it's the Sabbath. And uh, it's not so much that the scriptures say don't heal on the Sabbath. 
It's that the, uh, the Pharisees stand with both feet on the Bible. And more than that, they like build up this wall of rules just in case you might disobey the scripture. So that's what we might call legalism, right? We build up these rules to protect us from disobeying the scriptures. Whereas Jesus is actually inviting us to, yes, keep a, keep a foot on the scriptures. Don't move away from the scriptures, but also follow how the spirit is leading. Pay attention to what God is doing. And so in John chapter five, verse 16, oh, I didn't give you a page number. Uh, sorry about that. Have you found it? I gave you a minute. What's the page number? Do you have one of these Bibles? Uh, yes, 1113. It says, actually, yeah, verse 16. It says, so the Jewish leaders began harassing Jesus for breaking the Sabbath rules. But Jesus replied, my father is always working, and so am I. So the Jewish leaders tried all the harder to find a way to kill him. For he not only broke the Sabbath, he called God his father thereby making himself equal with God. So Jesus explained, I tell you the truth, the son can do nothing by himself. He only does what he sees the father doing. Whatever, whatever the father does, the son also does. And so in the vineyard, I mean, I think it's, a, I think it's really okay to pray for everybody you come into contact with. Um, uh, Steve Nicholson said this too. He's like, if you swing at all the pitches, you're bound to hit one eventually. <laughs> but, uh, but we don't say if the healing doesn't happen, well, you didn't have enough faith. Or maybe I didn't have enough faith. We, we can realize like maybe that was me feeling the need to pray in a certain way, but it wasn't God moving or working or prompting. So when Jesus has this like amazing relationship with God, he hears God perfectly all the time. Like he's been with God for a long time at this point. Okay. Like it says here, like he puts himself equal footing with God. You know, that God like has no beginning and no end. So like Jesus has been with God for eternity in this amazing relationship of love that Christians reflect on and call the Trinity. But he hears God prompt him. And by the power of the spirit, he goes and heals one person because that's what God is doing at that time in that place. And so when we pray and there's no healing, we don't start placing blame. We can simply with humility say this for whatever reason, and we don't understand God's kingdom has not fully come yet. We live in a time where there is still suffering. So take Peter for an example. Peter prays for all kinds of sick people. Peter gets put in prison. God breaks him out. And at the end of his life, by both Jesus' prediction and by tradition, Peter is killed. God doesn't rescue Peter from his execution. A lot of people who pray for healing get sick and die. That's what God is doing. We don't know exactly why God doesn't heal everybody. We just know that there is a day when Jesus will return and there will be a new heavens and new earth. And we, so we put our hope in that. So point four was you can only see what you see. You can only do what you see the Father doing. Point five, let's go back to 1 Peter. This is a 1 Peter series after all. But let's go back to 1 Peter chapter 1. We've actually 
read this a couple of times already, but Peter brings up the Holy Spirit in the second verse of his letter, which isn't surprising at all because of how influential the Holy Spirit has been in Peter's life. In verse 2, he says, God the Father knew you and chose you long ago, and his Spirit has made you holy. As a result, you have obeyed him and have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. So the, the fifth point here, the fifth idea that I want to bring to you is when the Holy Spirit moves, the idea, the design is that there would be fruit. The idea is that there would be a turning to Jesus and that your life would actually look different. Now, again, we believe that like we're on a journey and this is a process, but there's a fruit of the spirit that comes into your life. Peter calls it holiness here. The idea is that your life starts to look more like God's life. Your character starts to look more like God's character. You are filled with love, joy, peace, patience, and self-control. This is the process of sanctification. God is partnering with you that you might be holy, that you might live in love as Jesus lived and loved. This is not what saves you. Your, your good deeds, your, your holiness is not what saves you. It is the blood of Jesus that justifies you before God. And so you don't have to worry about your status with God. Like God loves you. God desires that you turn to him and that you could receive the benefit of that love. And so it is the blood of Jesus that justifies us, that makes us stand and know that we are right with God. It doesn't matter what kind of mistake you've made. The blood of Jesus is enough to restore your relationship with God. But then the Holy Spirit comes into you and works to transform you and moves through you. And so I want to have an extended ministry time, but I want to do that after worship. So I want to invite the worship team forward. I want to invite you to stand. I want you to be open and receptive to what God might want to do in the room through you. I want you to be ready to say yes to him because we believe that he is speaking and we believe that he is moving. And so let's stand, let me pray, and we'll worship. So come Holy Spirit again and move among us. Rest on us. We trust you. You created us. You saved us. You sustain us. You make us holy. And we ask now that you would fill us. Thanks again for listening to the podcast of the Vineyard Church, Chester Springs. We hope you share this with your friends and family and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. See you next time.